Hey guys, Leo from Boston here. Just wanted to weigh in on last week's discussion, and I got to say, Jeff, you're 100% right. None of the blame should go on you for mistaking the score of the <laughs> Buffalo Sabres game. Yes. Elliot, I respect the effort in trying to <laughs> argue your way out of it, but you are 100% wrong. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. <laughs> Leo kicks off the podcast. I like that. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the all-new GMC AT4 lineup. Leo makes a lot of sense. He does applaud you for trying to spread out the blame, but really, it really all really rests with you, Elliot. Sorry. You know what this proved to me? That Leo is some guy who's locked in your house somewhere and you only let him <laughs> out to agree with you. That was actually a hostage audio. <laughs> Say this and we'll let you see your family <laughs> again, Leo. <laughs> oh, and by the way, hold up a newspaper to prove that's today's date. Yeah. Leo in Boston. Okay, you're free. You can see your family again. Thanks for the audio. Okay, so Elliot, Monday was a big day for trade news around the NHL, the Calgary Flames and the Montreal Canadiens, Tyler Toffoli. You've hinted about Tyler Toffoli to the Flames before, and Monday it became official. Going the other way, uh, Emil Haneman, a first-round draft pick, a fifth-round draft pick, and Tyler Pitlick. Your initial thoughts on this one? One of the things I kind of wonder about, Jeff, is was Ben Sherrod at this deal at any particular point in time? Like I heard they were really getting into it on Sunday. The conversations really deepened, and we'd mentioned the Kings were possibly around to Foley, too. I think the Flames really liked them, and we're talking a lot about cards here, but it's a lot like poker philosophy, right? If you think you've got a good hand, do you try to milk the other people, or do you just knock them out, bet so much and knock them out that they can't get the card they need to maybe beat you? And the Flames went with B here. They said, look, we like the player. We really want him. And uh, we're going to take them off the market. And that's what I would do. I, You know, why let someone else enter the race? You know, I, I do think they were talking about the possibility of making it a Sherrod trade, too, that, that didn't happen. And we'll see where all that goes. But I think at the end of the day, Calgary just decided this is the guy we want. Our coach knows him. And we're going out and getting him. And this is exactly what they need, a score. And he's going to be one of the best scorers available. You know, I'm trying to be, you know, look at this and say, well, here's the flaw in Calgary's plan here. Here's where they gave up too much. I, I can't see anything wrong with this trade. Like this to me looks like a slam dunk for the Calgary Flames. They didn't touch their lineup. Yep. They didn't give up one of, you know, Jacob Pelche or Connor Zary or or Dustin Wolf or Dustin Wolf or Yusuf Alamaki. Like they didn't touch any of those young players and they got someone who's under contract at a very good number. For two more seasons as well, as so you might want to look down the road and say, we might need some winger insurance here. Like, to me, this one looks like a home run for Brad Treliving. Am I missing anything here? No, I don't think you're missing anything. Like, I see two teams that did what they want to do. You mentioned all of the reasons that Calgary wanted to make this deal. And... What you didn't mention was Montreal's side. They get a first rounder. Now, they're getting it this year. It's going to take an absolute monster collapse, yeah. like a Mount Vesuvius-like implosion for Calgary to have that be a top 10 pick this year. And so they're getting it this year. You know, Heinemann's an interesting prospect. He's already been traded twice. First the Bennett deal and now this one. But like I said, like this is what Montreal is is going to be doing Flames are the better team. They're trying to win. They got the best player in the deal. They got what they needed. You do it. You do it 100% of the time, especially with the term on the deal. You know what I wondered about, Elliot? I wondered about what you talked about on Saturday and we discussed afterwards as well. And that is 
the chill, like Ben Chirot going down on Saturday, did that chill the Montreal Canadiens into thinking, if we're going to make moves, let's make them sooner than later? Uh, hockey is a tough game. Hockey is a violent game. Hockey is a game where injuries are baked into the pie. If we have something, we should do it. Do you think that factored in? To, I mean, certainly it'll factor into Ben Chirot. Did it factor into the DeFoley decision? I only think it factored in because they got a price they thought that was fair, right? Mm-hmm. You probably worry about that a little less with forwards than you do with defensemen about the injury kind of thing. I mean, I just because defensemen have so many more things where they put themselves kind of are in the way or, or or there's contact with them. Usually forwards are initiating the contact while defensemen are kind of taking it in most cases. What it's obvious to me is that the Canadians and the, and the Flames have been wrestling over this a little bit and they really got down to it yesterday and Calgary just said, look, we're we're ending this conversation. That's the sense I really got. The Flames said, we're ending this debate. We're taking them, we're getting it done, and that's that. You know what else got better through this situation, Elliot? What's that? <clears throat> the Pacific Division, who is adding not just Tyler Toffoli, but Jack Eichel as well. All of a the sudden, there are two new players mm-hmm. in this division. The Calgary Flames are better. Vegas Golden Knights are better as well. We'll see who else ends up in the Pacific next. Yep. You know, this may be my favorite opening to any podcast we've ever done where Elliot Friedman essentially begs and grovels and pleads. Elliot, uh, please address Sidney Crosby. So my schedule this week for TV is two Toronto regionals, Toronto at Seattle on uh, Monday night. And then on Thursday, we've got Pittsburgh at Toronto, which may, I think the Ontario teams are hoping that they'll get 50% capacity a few days earlier. And we all know Sidney Crosby's at 499. 499 goals. 499 goals. Thank you, Jeff. And I don't think it's at all selfish of me in any way, shape, or form to wish for Crosby to hold off until Thursday to do it. I would like to see this in person. And, you know, I I feel it's not Mm. Christmas yet or anything, but I think I've been a good boy this year. And if it did happen at Christmas, Santa would say, yes, uh, Elliot, even though you don't really celebrate Christmas, you do deserve to see it. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> so I just would like to start off the podcast by saying, Sid, can you wait till Thursday? Now, here's the problem with this. Yeah, I see this one. They got a game on Tuesday, and uh, the game on Tuesday is against Philadelphia. And Much heat there at all. Them. Yeah. He hates the Flyers. And someone once said to me, that, you know, first of all, when you play for the Penguins, you hate the Flyers to begin with. They're your fierce rival and everybody gets that. But that whole year of the Laviolette Giroux playoff series where, you know, they had that fierce battle and, and Laviolette called uh, Giroux the best player in the world or whatever he called him at the time. Oh, yeah. It still burns him. Like it burned him for years. And it probably still burns him to this day because the most competitive are like that. So I have to say, I don't like my chances. I do not like my chances. I think he scores 500 against Philadelphia on Tuesday night. But if he would like to wait to do it Thursday in Toronto, I would be extremely appreciative. So let's all watch the Philly game, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia Flyers. And if slash win Crosby scores goal number 500, I want you all to think about it. More importantly, 
tweet Elliot. Like when the when the when the video shows up online, you know, usually we put the historical ones up or the exceptional ones up at, at our Sportsnet Twitter feed. Send it to Elliot right away. Flood his timeline with Sidney Crosby goal number five hundred against the Philadelphia Flyers. And if he doesn't, then we'll all watch him face off against the Maple Leafs. Five hundred goals has always been an interesting one for me. I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I've always looked at you know various barriers to entry to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yep. 500 to me has always been, you know, some might say 400 or 450, but I've always felt that the number 500 should buy you into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Regardless. Or at least include you in the conversation. Crosby can never score another goal and he's going into the Hall of Fame. It's tapping, oh, yeah. considering what he's done. Like his Hall of Fame resume is done. It's over. The only question is, you know, who is he above on the Mount Rushmore of hockey? That's the only question I have of Sidney Crosby and his history at this point. But when you look at some of the more notable players, like I'm going to read you a list here, Elliot, okay. of players who have hit 500 goals and are not in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Okay. Peter Bondra has 503 goals. Jeremy Roenick has 513. Pierre Turgeon has 515. Mm -hmm. Pat Verbeek has 522. Mm -hmm. Keith Kachuk has 538. And then I'll throw him in there as well. Patrick Marlowe at 566. Do you consider 500 to be a barrier to entry or some type of cut line for, okay, you got 500 goals, then at least we can entertain the conversation about you being in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Now, the one guy you don't mention because he's still playing is Yager, right? I think of sometimes course. people forget that he's still actually playing. By the way... It's his birthday. Yeah, he's 50 on Tuesday. He's 50 on Tuesday. And unfortunately for Yarmer Yager, I'm going to turn into hot take guy, he's never going to get in the Hall of Fame. Because he's going to keep playing forever? Because he's never going to stop playing yet. Like, when is Yager going to retire? Seriously, when is Yarmer Yager going to retire? Much to the Hall of Fame chagrin. He'll never go in because Yager will never retire. I'm beginning to think that Yager is one of those guys who should go in right away. Before the career is done? Yeah. I'm fine with it. I think we're all fine with it. I'm fine with that. I mean, you want to talk about dedication to hockey. Well, Still playing. I mean, he's the guy. But I think I've told the story before. My father's a chartered accountant, a very good one. Because of him, I hate numbers. <laughs> what? My well, you know what? Though, hang on. My dad was a was an engineer with CN for decades, so I, I know what you mean. So you hate CN or you hate engineers? <laughs> Which one do you? Anything involving numbers, anything involving math, because that's what he always pushed on me, and so of course I went and did a liberal arts degree at University of Guelph. You know, we all reject our parents, right? Absolutely. Well, because the thing is, I, I've never liked the idea of thinking that oh, you get five hundred goals, you should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. No, 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 no. I know, I know, you're not saying that. I know that you're not saying that. But I think that people use that as an argument. Well, you know what? You get 500 goals, you should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I don't like that. Like, I don't think it should be amount of goals you score. I think it should be impact that you have when you played, right? Yes. Some of those players you mentioned, I think they're great players, but I don't know if I see them as Hall of Famers. Of the group of them, I think the one, if I had to vote for one guy first it would probably be Ronick, And Verbeek might be close, Kachuk around there. But it wouldn't be all of them. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would vote for all of them. Like To me, if you're in the Hall of Fame, 
I have a very high definition of a Hall of Famer. I think that, you know, for example, let's just say for argument's sake, Sidney Crosby had retired after Pittsburgh won their third Stanley Cup in 2017. I think he should have been in the Hall of Fame, no matter what his numbers were. To me, a Hall of Fame is about impact. What impact did you have as a player or an executive or a coach or whatever it is? That's what a Hall of Fame is. Did you have a significant impact on the game? And so even if Sidney Crosby never scores another goal, to me, he's in the Hall of Fame. You know who feels the exact same way and he told us in Chicago? Nathan McKinnon. Yeah, I think, honestly, the, that's why the MJ stuff, it's just, like, I find that so un- embarrassing, you know, seeing me compared to someone like that, like you said, like, I mean, I've had been up for a couple of hearts, but, like, it doesn't really matter, I don't think, you know, I just want to, you know, have my name on the cup one day, and I think that's what I'm really looking to do. And I think it'll be a big disappointment if we never get that done in Denver. I love that about McKinnon. We talked about that. I, I love that about him. The 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 only point that I'm that I'm making about the 500 Goal Club is once you're in it, then you become part of another conversation. It's like, okay, now that you're in, now we can have the Hall of Fame conversation about you. Not necessarily that it's a slam dunk. Oh, you know, uh, Kachuk's got 538. He's got to go into the Hall of Fame. Or Bondra's got 503. He's got to go into the Hall of Fame. But at least you can have the conversation around them. That's my only point about 500 goals. I don't see it that way. I see it as what's your impact? Like Sandy Koufax. If you want to answer, you know, who's the youngest player to get to the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame Mm -hmm. is Sandy Koufax because he retired faster than everybody else. He doesn't have the counting numbers, like 300 wins and all that, but he's in because of the impact. That's the way I like to see it and talk about it. I always look at, and this is what I always come back to with Eric Lindros. Like there was that two, maybe three years where there was no one even close. Yes. Hall of Fame. To the player that he was. Like as far as being a peak performer, there was no one. And you could even make the argument, Elliot, that when you look at the skill set that Lindros had, if he would have had a career like he had in those two to three years, that narrow window we talk about him as one of the greatest hockey players ever. But of course, longevity was certainly a thing for Lindros. But those three years, there was no one even close. I know you can make the argument, you just mentioned Yager, and he was in the conversation around Lindros, certainly. But those two or three years, man, because I'm with you, like the impact that he had in his game. We've seen big guys that can move their feet before. And you know, a lot of old-timers listening to this might be screaming Jean Beliveau at me right away. And you're right, but no one like Lindros. Mm-hmm. Nobody and no one had that kind of impact, and no one was that big and can move their feet like that. Now we see it all the time, but Lindros was a freak. Like who's that guy now that we're talking about? Okay, so I'll give you a perfect example. You know who's a guy who's never been really anywhere near the Hart Trophy, like never even anywhere close to the Hart Trophy who to me is a slam dunk Hall of Famer. Such an easy slam dunk that I wouldn't miss it. Patrice Bergeron. His numbers are not even going to be close to the greatest players in the world. And to me, Patrice Bergeron should be going to the Hall of Fame in his first year of eligibility. I'll see your Patrice Bergeron and raise you a Henrik Zetterberg. I think that's a good one too. Those two players are more are more similar than they are different in that it's a real luxury as a head coach 
to find that your best offensive player is also your best defensive player. Now, your best offensive player in this case isn't going to score 130 points a year, but it's going to be impossible for you as a coach to lose a line matchup. That's the impact. When you're on the ice, you cannot lose a matchup. See, as we tape this podcast, Patrice Bergeron has 387 career goals. I would probably take him over all of the guys you mentioned who had 500 goals. Yep. That's not to slight any of them as players because they're all great players. Mm-hmm. But that's an example to me of a person. Like when I think of impact, I think of Bergeron. Like Bergeron to me is a slam dunk Hall of Famer and he won't have the counting stats of many of his peers. And there's one question that he can answer with a resounding yes, which is, can your coach put you on the ice in every single situation? That to me has always been the mark of greatness of a hockey player, of forwards, obviously. Can your coach put you on in any single situation? Can your coach always call your number, no matter what the situation is? No matter what time of the game is, the nature of special teams, the five-on-five, close game, blow all of it. Can the coach call your number at any time with confidence? And with Bergeron, tapping. Zetterberg, tapping. Datsuk, tapping. Tapping. He's a Hall of Famer. Too. Easy. Future Hall of Famer, Connor McDavid. Are we ready to say that already about Connor McDavid's career, Elliot? He's going to the Hall of Fame, <laughs> I think. I think it's a safe bet. <laughs> On his way. With that, the Hall of Fame conversation. Somehow we opened up post-Super Bowl podcast with a Hall of Fame conversation. And Thank you, Bengals and the under. Thank you. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Did your accountant like how you gambled this evening, Elliot? Was your accountant very happy? Bengals versus the spread in the under. Very happy. Uh, We're talking Connor McDavid and the Oilers when we return. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast. settle things down here got a little bit testy at the end as Wallstrom comes back aggressively and just bulldozes over Darnell Nurse he came right back tried to get into the mix the officials got in there unfortunately <laughs> would have been pretty exciting if they wouldn't have but you know what they wanted to settle things down they did Elliot they may never lose another game again <laughs> The Edmonton Oilers under Jay Woodcroft. By the way, Mike Smith was excellent in that game against the Islanders. Yes, he was. We talked about the back-to-back, and he went back in there against the Islanders on Friday night, and he looked excellent. Your thoughts uh, on the new bench bosses and uh, what they're doing to the Oilers? Well, first of all, Jay Woodcroft should retire undefeated. They have a game on <laughs> Monday night. I don't think he should go. I think he should just say, my winning percentage is 1,000, and I quit. <laughs> Just give up and quit. Dexy's Midnight Runners, one hit single, and I'm out of here. They did look a little bit different. I'm not really sure how much they could have done. So the coaching change was on Thursday morning. They didn't have practice that day. He came in. His, his first day with the team really was on Friday, which was the game day. 
And the one thing you really did notice differently was they stood up a lot more at the blue line. And the players did talk about it post-game, but to me it was noticeable. And it clearly is something they have identified. And, you know, we'll see how they do when they play their next games because they're playing Monday and Tuesday night. But to me, that was the biggest difference game one. I don't know what you, if you saw anything different, Jeff. No, defensively, they're a lot tighter. Again, I'll just keep going back to Mike Smith and amazing things happen when your goaltender is giving you saves. Like yeah. I, I know that's always the hospital bracelet issue, and I know the concern there, but I thought it looked like a team that, I don't know, whenever there's a coaching change, I mean, everybody sort of wants to audition for the new coach, and there's an element of that too, but they just looked a lot more comfortable, let's just say. listen, And they're playing against an Islanders team that hasn't, you know, you look at the last couple of games the Islanders have played, like this isn't the best that we've seen out of this team. But nonetheless, you play the opponent that's placed in front of you. I thought they just looked better all around. I think that like, everybody, like to a person, looked a lot more comfortable. You know, that there's been a change, some new optimism. I think Woodcroft, you know, knows a lot of these players from his time in Bakersfield. Even though knows a lot of the guys from his time with the Oilers, like... McDavid knows this guy. Like this is someone who's you know was in the NHL for what was it, thousand games, something like that, Elliot. So I don't know. They look again. It's one game. I don't want to read too much into it. Yeah. But they did look better. We all still know what the problems are, and they still exist. But for just for the first night, Oilers looked a lot better. Mm-hmm. Listen, this is the post Super Bowl edition of Thirty Two Thoughts the podcast. Yeah. I don't want to talk about the Rams specifically, but congratulations. Do you want to talk about Stan Kroenke's hockey team, not his football team? No, no, no. no. Let's talk about Eichel first, because that's the big news right now. Kelly McCrimmon going full Vince McMahon showman. If the WWE (laughs) was in charge of the National Hockey League, Jack Eichel was playing on Wednesday night against the Colorado Avalanche, and that is indeed happening. Yes. Kelly McCrimmon announcing on Monday that Eichel's going to play and that Mark Stone is going on long-term injury for as long as it takes. It will take... How long it takes, we just don't know. So uh, it's going to be, I, I can already hear it, the LTIR complaints, and I am the wrong person to complain to. Number one, every pool I've been in, there are Freeman rules to stop loopholes I try to exploit. I'm big into trying to exploit loopholes. And also, too, this horse is out of the barn. Chicago 2015, Tampa last year, and I know there's some teams that really hate it. I know there's some people who are going to really hate it. The way I look at it, though, is we're in the entertainment business, and this allows people to be entertained. I know not everybody agrees with me, but the fact is Jack Eichel getting in there and playing, and it's been established it can happen with LTIR. You can't stop it now. Mark, don't call me Kucherov Stone, goes to long-term injury, and that's how it gets done. But this also frees up space, not just for Eichel, but Alec Martinez as well. We'll get there in a second. So Jack Eichel is in, playing online with Max Pacioretty and Yevgeny Dadinov. This is a great day for hockey because, Elliot, in a lot of ways, I think we've forgotten how great a hockey player Jack Eichel is. What are your expectations for Eichel come Colorado game? Well, number one, first of all, he's going to take a hit at some point, and I just hope it all turns out okay. This has been a long road, and we all know what the story has been, and Eichel is confident. They tell me he looks great. Petrangelo says he looks great. You know, the Sabres battles with him about this. You know, I got a call from somebody who defended the Sabres doctors to me uh, just about a week or two ago. He said that their fear was if they had a problem is that they were extra careful. 
as you know, we we spoke a lot about Eichel on this. We interviewed Eichel's doctor. We had an interview with Eichel after he was traded. And someone said to me, I just think it's fair that you know that the Sabres issue, the doctors, was that they were just overly careful. Mm -hmm. So number one is, I hope this all works. Number two, I hope it's great. I hope he has a great performance. I hope it's fun to watch. I hope the game on Wednesday is a fantastic game to watch, and it's great for the NHL that Jack Eichel is back. And the one thing I do think, Jeff, I think the NHL will be on the Golden Knights just to make sure, okay, you know, Stone, it's a back injury. It's legit. In no way am I questioning that it's legit because it is legit, Mm -hmm. but they'll be on him to make sure that he is – he can't come back because that's the one thing they do do now. They've had Weber come in and get looked at a couple of times and they'll do the same thing with Stone. Do we get our Mark Stone LTIR shirts? <laughs> 18 million over the cap. Like, oh, the please. She's in the playoffs, please. I just better see some Mark Stone LTIR shirts. Before we talked about Stan Kroenke's hockey team, we should mention that Daniel Briere of the Flyers was in Colorado last week watching both their team and the Eagles. Geez, I wonder what that could have been all about. <laughs> Is there anyone on Philadelphia that's been tied to the um, Colorado Avalanche uh, at all, Elliot? I think Colorado is going to be a really, really interesting team. I also want to mention, I think Chicago has got maybe one more interview coming. Somebody told me, that Chicago, and I don't even know if this is true, but you know, what the heck, that maybe Chicago's initial plan was to interview about 20 people. And now I don't think that's going to happen, but they announced, I think, what, five? And I think they've got, there's some rumor about one this week, maybe two, but I think they've got at least one more. Is it a traditional hockey name? Like, do you know? I don't know yet. I'm working on that one. I had one name I was told, and someone said to me, don't go with that. So I'm still working it, as we're talking on Sunday night. Mike Ford is involved in this process. You can't just limit this to uh, to hockey people. Well, I think Jamie Faulkner is like that, too. I think she's also prepared to go outside of the traditional. Okay, Colorado Avalanche. Uh, here's where we are. Boy, this team is good. They just took care of the Dallas Stars for nothing. Darcy Kemper with the shutout. Gabriel Landeskog with two goals. Uh, Nathan McKinnon returns. And now Nazem Kadri has 20 goals, 62 points in 43 games. You know, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago on Hockey Night, he's now with Darren Ferris at Cortex. Uh, he's going to be a free agent uh, next summer, and there's going to be a, a lot of teams that will be interested, and uh, the price will be high. Uh, do you have a thought on Kroenke's hockey team here now that his football team has won the Super Bowl? Well, they might get a double this year. Yep. I mean, obviously, I think they're really good. You know, Kemper's been hot. I'm not convinced that they want to go make a goalie move if they don't have to. Um, I think they'd rather do another player. To me, the thing is McKinnon. He's just having such a cursed year. COVID, the injuries, mm-hmm. you know, everything around that. I just want to see McKinnon get his game going and get back where he, we know he can be. And then I think they're going to be just perfectly fine. You know, I'm hoping that maybe all of the time off McKinnon's had, it's going to help him somewhere down the road because I really want to see that guy have a great run. I, I love watching McKinnon play and I, 
I want to see him do well. Put a horn on the helmet. The guy's a rhino. Yeah. Like, seriously, there's no one in the game that plays like Nathan McKinnon. And I know I've made the point before that, you know, the what Landis Gog does on that line allows McKinnon to freestyle and do his Nathan McKinnon thing. But there's nobody that plays like that. There's no one that can impose their will physically with that type of skill set uh, on the game like Nathan McKinnon. And the interesting thing about him, too, is like... Whenever he comes back, whether it's from COVID, whether it's from injury, he comes back and he hits the ground running. Like, it's not as if he'll have like, you know, it'll take him like four or five games to get back. Like, he just comes back and he's Nathan McKinnon. Like, today against Dallas, he just comes back and he's Nathan McKinnon. It's like he hasn't missed any time at all. He's... One of the most remarkable players in the uh, in the game today, Tomas Hurdle and the San Jose Sharks. Um, staying in San Jose or decision at deadline? It was interesting. Like Joe Will, the acting general manager, was painted a picture of real optimism, and I, I'm always careful about this because you know this is where I, I radio myself. I don't want to say that Thomas Hurdle poured cold water on it. But what I did get a sense was Hurdle was saying, wait a second, like, wait a second here. From what I can tell, I don't think there's been, and neither the agent, uh, who's Craig Oster, nor Joe Will was going to talk about this. But from what I can tell, I don't believe there's been a formal offer presented yet. And the way Will talked, like, just in my history and my experience, I think that means that it's coming, like, this week or next. And sometimes teams tell me that, and even agents tell me, with some situations, you might not get your best offer until 48 hours before the trade line deadline. So we'll see what San Jose's approach is here. But the way Hurdle talked about it the other day, it made me think that this is a player who at least has it in his mind. And when you look at the way everything played out last year in the summer with things that were reported and said, this is a player who at least has thought about the possibility that I might have to leave. Mm-hmm. Put yourself in this player's shoes. Like imagine you're in a job and your contract is up or you know you're going to get another offer somewhere else. And, you know, depends on how you feel about your job. Some people are like, oh, I'm taking the best offer. I don't care which one it is. I'm not married. I'm I'm going purely for the money. Some people are like, no, I, I like it here and, and I want to stay. And other people are like, you know what? I'd really like to stay, but I know I may have to leave. And to me, Hurdle is in that third camp. I think, yes, he'd like to stay, but I think it's already been in his head that, you know, maybe it won't be in San Jose for him. So I think on some level, he strikes me as a guy who's prepared for the possibility of that eventuality. With Landeskog last year, I really believe, like, if you heard the way McCarr and, and McKinnon talked to us, right? Oh, yeah. Like, they all believed at the end of the day that it was going to work out. And Landis Scott got frustrated for a bit and things got emotional. But at the end of the day, they all believed it was going to work out. And the Avalanche believed it was going to work out, too. I think that Hurdle and the Sharks both have to realize here that this is a player who's thought about the possibility of going elsewhere. So you have to be careful with that. That means you can't fool around as much. You have to be serious. And you can't put that player in a position where he's like, ah, forget this. I'm done. So I think the next weeks are going to be huge. I don't think the Sharks can necessarily wait till 48 hours before the deadline to say, all right, we're coming in fine with our best offer. I think they've got to come in hot and have something in the ballpark pretty quickly because Hurdle basically said, 
I don't want to hear anything unless my agent tells me there's something worth hearing. Like Oster is a tough negotiator. Uh, he really fights for his clients. He's a bit of a bulldog. He's not going to hurdle with anything unless San Jose's serious. So I don't know if San Jose can fool around too much in this one. You see, I kind of look at this deal and say there's two things here. One, there's the actual deal itself. And then for Hurdle, who, you know, let's just be honest about it. He's 28 years old and there's been a lot of frustrating seasons in San Jose. Doesn't part of the pitch have to be, here's what our plan is for the next three, four years for Hurdle? I think you can see that. Like San Jose this year, they're not going to make the playoffs, but I think they've been better than a lot of us expected. Like, didn't you think there was a chance they could be one of the worst teams in the league this year? Yeah, with a handful of guys that are on monster contracts too, which makes it that much worse. Look, like the Kane thing wasn't working out there. And like, whatever the truth is, I just think everyone's better off, including him, that he's not there anymore. Like Ferraro is a player. You know, the kid they drafted last year, Eklund, I think that kid's a player. They like him a lot. They're better than I thought they were going to be. Look, Burns has been really good. Couture's been really good. Hurdle's been really good. You know, they need more players, but they're better than I thought they were going to be. And this is the other question they've got is, if Vlasic's starting to get really sheltered now, and they've got a lot of long-term deals there, and they're going to say, look, we've done a lot of long-term deals. We don't want to do another one. Well, it's not going to work in this case. You're going to have to do it. It's the same thing that Nashville's going through right now a bit with Forsberg. They've done a long-term, a lot of long-term deals. Yeah. Some have worked, some haven't. They're a little nervous about it. Well, it's not going to work if you're not going to do it. Like basically hurdle through the gauntlet. He said, this is our choice. This is what I want. And they're going to have to come at him with it. You know, one of the other interesting ones too, you just mentioned his name and we had him on the podcast was two years ago. And that's Mario Ferraro, who's playing 23 minutes a night for the San Jose Sharks on the top pairing with Brent Burns. He's a, albeit restricted, he's a free agent at season's end. And to my knowledge, they haven't opened up negotiations. He's 23 years old. You know, you mentioned, you know, Vlasic becoming, getting a little more sheltered here. I mean, he's not due up until 2026. Here's Mario Ferraro, who's playing 24 minutes a night on the top pair. What does that next deal look like? If you're Ferraro's camp, you're probably saying, okay, you know what? We won't look for the max because we think we have one more shot at big money. So maybe you get a break there, Elliot. But that's another interesting one to keep our eyes on here for San Jose. What's Mario Ferraro worth? You know what I say when you have a good young player as part of the core of your team? Wrap him up. You sign him as long as you can because the price never goes down. I hear you on that one. A couple of things quickly here. Um, Winnipeg Jets fighting for their playoff lives. Uh, down two against Nashville on Saturday. What a comeback. Blake Wheeler. That was a hell of a win. Five points for Blake Wheeler. And listen, man, this one had like a playoff intensity as well. Is every game going to be like this down the stretch for the Winnipeg Jets where it feels like it's not three periods, but it's a, it feels like an entire season? I think that because, you know, the problem the Jets have, and I feel like I've said this a lot, is that, if you are right now outside of the playoffs looking in, it's a lot easier to be in that situation in the Pacific than in the Central. Like if you look at Winnipeg in points percentage, they're sixth in the Central, right? Mm-hmm. And they're 
barring major collapses, major collapses, they're not catching those top four teams. They're not catching Colorado. They're not catching Minnesota. They're not catching St. Louis. And they're not catching Nashville. So their way to the playoffs is the wild card. And that means Dallas. That means Winnipeg. That means LA. That means Edmonton. That means Anaheim. And even San Jose is just behind them. I really think you know teams can have bad nights, but they can't have any. Mm-hmm. They're not really allowed to have a bad night from here to the rest of the season. They played really like I thought that win on Saturday night. That was a hell of a win. They played Dallas the night before. That was a really tough game. They at least got a point out of it. And then they go to Nashville and they're down 2 nothing. They will score five in a row to win that game. And you know the other guy who I think deserves a lot of credit? You mentioned Wheeler. Connor Hellebuck this year on back-to-back nights, his numbers are unbelievable. He's 3-0, and and I think he's allowed six goals in three games. And we're talking you know, well over 100 shots. Okay, Elliot, let's uh, reset quickly, come back and talk about... I want to get your thoughts. We didn't do this last week. We were packed, but I want to get your thoughts on Rosie DeMano's piece that really raised some eyebrows and ruffled some feathers. We'll talk about women's hockey here in a couple of moments and get to some of your phone calls uh, and emails as well. More 32 thoughts in a moment. Elliot, it's a conversation that rears its head every four years, and that is, does women's hockey belong in the Olympics? The argument goes, well, there's really only two teams, Canada and the United States, that compete for gold. Why should this thing be considered an Olympic event? And Rosie DeMano, uh, a week and a half ago in the Toronto Star, weighed in, maintaining that it doesn't belong in the Olympics. That surprised some, that angered many, What are your thoughts on it? Well, first of all, whenever this argument comes up, I kind of roll my eyes at it because it's not like women's hockey at the Olympics is going anywhere. No. No matter what anybody says, the IIHF and the IOC have have made their vote, and that is that women's hockey is staying. I remember when I was going into media, I went to Western in 1989, and not long after I was – I can't remember what year it was – but the Ryerson Review of Journalism did an article about her career. And, you know, Rosie went through a lot of crap to get where she is, especially as a, a female reporter who covered a lot of sports. I have a lot of time for her. And, you know, for one thing, I, I've seen her in very tough situations, just refuse to back down. I have a lot of admiration for that. I don't agree with the column. I don't agree with that point of view at all. Just to me, I roll my eyes at this argument because it's come up before and, it literally has no impact on the future of the sport at the Olympics. Like I remember being at the 2006 Olympics in Italy and in that tournament, Canada won its round Robin games by a combined score of 36 to one. Those games were ridiculous. At that point in time, they said, look, it's not going anywhere. And actually that year, the U S got upset in the semis by Sweden and Canada won the gold medal 4-1. to one. I remember asking Cassie Campbell-Pascal, once Canada got the lead, they basically played keep away because they didn't want to run up the score because of all the controversy. Yeah. I remember in 2014, Jeff, people asked at the IIHF press conference, again, as it was Canada, USA, and the gold, and that was an incredible gold medal final. 
it's still not competitive. You know, do you have to take it out? And Renee Fazel was like, I don't know why this always comes up. We're not taking it out. So to me, whoever wants to make this argument from a media point of view, it's completely immaterial. The only thing you ever have to worry about is if somebody from like the double HF or the IOC says it, and I just don't see that happening. But the, the one thing I do think about Jeff is, you know, what's the next step? You know, what can we do? And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about was I was not a huge F1 person. I like it because I like to drive fast, but I wasn't big into the sport. And then you watch that drive to survive and it was so big and so good. And you see now that the tennis tours are going to do it. The golf tour is going to do it. And, you know, the NHL's got Amazon and there's going to be more teams that do that. And, you know, football has their the HBO show, The Hard Knocks, like more and more of this stuff is happening. And I really think that whether it's the Premier Hockey Federation or whether it's the PWHPA, I think what they should be aiming to do next year is this. I think they should be saying, we're going to sell an entire drive to survive year. We would have a year where you're going to say to every player, you're mic'd up the whole year. Everything you do you're doing a year of reality TV. You know, the practices, might. The games, might. The meetings, might. The travel, might. You know, I mean, obviously, there's going to be some things you don't get mic'd for, and the cameras aren't going to be following you around. But that's what I think next year should be. And if I was an executive, and I'm not, but if I was a sports executive, that's what I w- I think they should consider trying is basically it's every week there's another show like this is what happened in our league this week and you just put the best stuff out there and you know part of the package is you have to have a game of the week i think that's really important and what i might also consider is centralizing all the teams somewhere i would hope you could find a way to pay the players or at least their living expenses to make it a lot easier on them Mm -hmm. but pay them and i think you have to make sure you bring in players from other parts of the world. We all know that a lot of the players in the leagues are American and Canadian. You've got to find a way to bring over some Swedes, some Finns, some Russians, some players from other countries. If a lot of them don't speak a ton of English, you can make that part of the show. Or maybe you find some who have decent English. I don't know the answer. But you know that's what I'm wondering. If, If the next step is maybe a year of drive to survive a women's league that is out in the open. Cause I really think people would watch that. And I think you could make stars. Tell me if you think I'm nuts. No, I think you're right for a couple of reasons here. One, there is precedent for it in a lot of other sports and hearing you talk about this. And we sort of talked about this, I think of the first season of the podcast with the idea of doing like an HBO 24 seven, but around Canada versus USA at either the you know world championships or the Olympics, probably the, the world championships would make more sense. But you know, the, the one thing that I'm hearing you with here, whether it's F1 uh, which is a spectacular success. You know what this concept completely saved? And it was a gamble. And this sport was, it feels weird to say it now, but this sport was almost taking its last breath here. UFC. And you know what saved the UFC, Elliot? What's that? The ultimate fighter. Mm. And it all culminated in one big 
show, there was like a light heavyweight bracket and there was a middleweight bracket. And Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner put on a fight for the ages. Like one of those fights where, you know, Twitter's going crazy and everyone's like, you got to turn in, you got to tune in, you got to tune in. And between the reality show and that event delivering, the sport popped again, right? And we've talked about how, you know, big names, great fights can help pop that sport. But that reality show saved UFC. You talk to any of the fighters, they'll tell you. Catch Dana White, he'll tell you how much the Ultimate Fighter Season 1 meant for the UFC. And I'm with you 100%. And here's the... Here's where this idea, I think, is different than the way women's hockey has traditionally been presented. It feels as if the way it's presented is these are two teams that respect each other and the premium is on respect. You know, we don't get a sense of at all. And I think your reality show idea would give us one. How much they really don't like each other. It's how much they can't stand each other. Yeah. Like you don't really, unless you talk to the athletes, you know, and I've had, you know, the, the conversations about like, who do you wish you didn't have to speak nicely about in front of a camera? And the answer is like, and, and why will drop your jaw? Like I remember, and Cassie, you mentioned Cassie Campbell Pascal a second ago. I remember Cassie telling me this story. I don't think this is out of school because we've talked about it on the air before. Cassie telling me a story when she was playing, was one of the world championships and the United States had beaten Canada and in the handshake line, one player for the United States in handshake alley, uh, as she was shaking Cassie's hand, said something so offensive that I don't want to repeat it here, Elliot. How about that? And Cassie wrote it down and carried it with her. You know, put it with whatever ring she was in, she hung it on the wall. She kept it with her as a reminder of what this one player said to her, and it burned in Cassie, and that led into Salt Lake City. And then they met each other again in Handshake Alley. I remember asking her, did you say it back to her? And Cassie said, I really wanted to, but I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Good on you, Cass. Um, But yeah, like if you get that side of it, because no one's seen that, but Elliot, everybody can relate to it. And everybody understands it. And it makes them, like in any sport, male or female, it attaches you more to the athletes when you see that side of them. I think it's a home run. This idea, what it did for F1, what it did for UFC, I think it can do for women's hockey as well. I'm with you about a million percent on this one. Now, I should say this myself, that this is going to be a chapter in my book And I just want to say to all publishers that when I do write a book about my career, the advance is going to be worth it. So I'm not going to get into all of it right now, but we had a big meeting once at one of the places I worked at, and it was a really intense meeting, and there were a lot of really raw, honest things said. And after the meeting was over, one of the executives said, why didn't you film that meeting? We could have shown it. And I lost my head. Like I said, that is everything that is wrong right now, that we had the meeting of this subject matter, and the only question was, why wasn't it filmed? So I freely admit that I am not always comfortable with a camera being everywhere in my life. But I also understand that this was several years ago. That horse is out of the barn And you know what? I think eventually the NHL is going to have to do more of this too. I just think that we all have to 
come to a point where we're understanding that those of us who are not comfortable with our lives being more and more public as opposed to private, Mm -hmm. if we're trying to sell ourselves to an audience, we have to come to grips with that's what the audience is now starting to expect or demand. I think younger athletes are more comfortable with that than older athletes. Or older broadcasters. Or older broadcasters in our case. Ah, Elliot, yet another start to another week. Now, other than the 32 Thoughts podcast, there's eh, not much else really to look forward to. Jeff, you are forgetting about Montana's Daily Deals. Their chicken wings are double-dusted in-house, cooked to a golden crispy finish, and they're half price on Mondays. Uh, Half price? Half price every Monday and sauced however you like them. Well then, head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar for half price wings every Monday. The only other thing exciting about Mondays. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. Okay, just some emails and phone calls as well. Let's get to a couple of these, Elliot. Uh, once again, the uh, the email, 32thoughts at sportsnet.ca, the phone line, 1-866-311-3232. That is the thought line. Pruitt from California. I was listening to another podcast. What? I, he, hang Why on, bo- hang okay, on. That, that email is disqualified. <laughs> he writes. There are no other podcasts. Pruitt writes, sorry, I'm not exclusive to you two. And they were talking. It's okay. We have we have an open relationship with our listeners. It's okay. You can, That's right. you can dance around. That's okay. No problem. We're cool with it. They were talking about how Montreal should try to find uh, a way to move Carey Price if they can. And it made me think, what happens if a player gets traded with a retained salary and then gets bought out? Do all teams involved get cap relief or own the team who had his contract most recently? Elliot bestows some wisdom upon me. So, Jeff, I do have an answer on this one. So let's basically say that, Jeff, you've been traded from team A to team B and team A has kept 25% of your salary. If you get bought out by team B, the retention is now replaced by 25% of the buyout. Okay, that makes sense. Yes. I believe that happened with Dion Phaneuf. When he went from Ottawa to LA. To LA, yeah. Yes, and LA bought him out. So his cap hit changed for the Senators on the buyout. Pruitt from California, thanks so much for that email. Corey from Grand Rapids. After seeing Matthew Kachuk's between the legs goal to put the Flames up 5 nothing in the third against Vegas. Roll the highlight reel. Matthew Kachuk goes between his legs and then bar down to make it five to nothing flames. He's done that to a bunch of teams, by the way. It's happening more and more now. I really give credit to the skill of the players. I really do. He's done that against the Preds. He's done it against the Sharks. He's done it against the Rangers. Like, Kachuk's adding up here. By the way, I wanted to mention to you that Max was skating. He has skating on Sundays. Oh yeah, and some other like there's a bunch of kids on the on the ice. It's basically a complete free for all. And there were some kids practicing the. Uh, oh yeah, Michigan. No, no, not the Michigan. They were doing that too, but they were also doing the Zegras to Milano over the net play. You know, from the game that Buffalo won. As we all know, the Buffalo Sabres won that game, and we didn't have to apologize for it. And great job with the violins kickoff last podcast. Yes, uh, that was good, Hamel. Hamel, that was outstanding. Uh, well, listen, my youngest son, Brody, in his game in Kingston on Sunday, 
one of the players on his team was behind the net and defenseman on either side. And much like Trevor Zegras tried to lift it over the net to get a pass out in front. Like kids are watching. Yeah. Shout out Cam DeCosta for trying that move. Okay. I wondered about unwritten rules in hockey. How do players look at goals like that? Elliot has covered baseball. Major league teams don't steal bases or swing at three and no pitches. Uh, Fernando Tatis notwithstanding, I suppose. This is in oh. the air to right field. Back it goes. Nando has done it again. Fernando Tatis Jr., a grand slam. And the Padres go on top 14-3. to Two home runs, seven RBIs for Fernando Tatis Jr., Unbelievable. Outside of fighting, are there any unwritten rules in the NHL? Oh boy, are there. The one obvious one to me is when you're blowing a team out, you don't put on your first unit power play. That's probably the biggest one that I can think of is, do you put your power play out there when you're winning big? You know, for example, that happened in Montreal, Minnesota this year. Minnesota had their power play out late against Montreal, and the Canadians were mad. Yeah, And that was the game where Pizzetta ran Dumba with, with 10 seconds left. Usually when one team, like when there's an issue between a team, sometimes that's the not-so-subtle screw you from one team to another. We're blowing you out, and we're putting our first unit power play out there. Not touching the goalie's water bottle would be another one. Not shooting the puck in the other team's net during warm up or after warm up. And you referenced the Flyers Montreal Canadiens a couple Boxcar podcasts Hospitar. ago. Eddie Hospitar in there. No high shots during warm up. Goalies don't like that one. No, definitely not. <laughs> Even practice, I don't like that. How about not mentioning shutouts? I think that's stupid, but it is kind of an unwritten rule in broadcasting. Uh, no stepping on logos. Yes, that's definitely, it's not an unwritten rule. That's pretty much a rule. So put them on the ceiling. What's Arizona going to do then? Is it going to be a Sun Devil logo in the dressing room or is it, don't step on the logo. Oh, it's not our logo. Go ahead. You are more concerned about the Arizona logo than the people who work at the university. (laughs) Um, I know one unwritten rule and this is a media one. We've talked about this plenty of times. If you rip someone, you have to show up to practice the next day. And by the way, I know that there were a lot of people who were wondering about that whole thing with Connor McDavid saying, you know, Spec, can I talk to you the other day? Yeah. Spec, can I talk to you for a second? I will say this. As a media member, I will take that a thousand times out of a thousand. If you're really pissed off at something I say, and you want to talk to me about it, by all means, say, I want to talk to you. And it's happened to me before. Mm-hmm. I have all the time in the world for that. I will never, ever have a problem with that. Never. I did talk to Mark about it. I think that's up for, to Mark to decide what he wants to say. But if it was my shoes and that was me, I got all the time in the world for you calling me up like that. No problem at all. Let's get a couple of voicemails in here. Uh, the thought line, Janet, oh man, Janet Crosscheck is a regular. She's awesome. Let's hear from Janet Crosscheck. Jeff Elliott, Janet Crosscheck on the Twitters and the Gram. Forgive me if I missed it. However, stuck in the States, what can you do? What is the origin story of Elliott's nickname for each? Because you know what? It fits him, but I don't have any. I've never heard of that. I have no idea. And I really, inquiring minds want to know. 
Hey, Jared. Well, the person who deserves credit for naming me Frege is a broadcaster and former boxer by the name of Spider Jones. And so when I first started out, one of my first big breaks, actually my first real big break was volunteering at the fan uh, radio station. And Spider was a really entertaining broadcaster who really had an ability to connect with people but he was terrible at pronouncing names. He just wasn't very good at it. Some people have these things. That's why, you know, people used to call Bieksa Bieska because we just can't do it. And so Spider, as great as a guy as he is and just a great teammate he is, he was terrible at pronouncing names. And there was, you know, a one night where he would say the sports update and I was volunteering doing late night sports updates on his show. And he would say, coming up next with the update is, Elliot Frege. And once he called me <laughs> Eric Frege. That's awesome. And this is 1994, I think. Yeah. And it stuck. Everybody just started calling me Frege. Gord Stalick still calls me Frege. He was at the fan back then. Yep. Uh, Brian Spear, who's the producer of, of the studio show for Hockey Night in Canada, he still calls me Frege. He was a producer at the fan back then. So it's pretty funny how that all started and it stuck. I don't know. I didn't know there was Spider that did that. Spider was huge for me. He put me on the air on his show when I had no business being on. Like I was the overnight call screener for his show. Strombolopoulos was the overnight board op. And I don't know if he was bored or weren't getting calls. He'd just throw me on and we'd throw it around. I had no business being on the air. I remember once, oh, he told me the funniest story. So I always, I'm a big boxing guy and he used to always ask him about his boxing career because he was a, like Spider, Chuck Jones, like a really good boxer. And like, Spider, I never saw you fight. Uh, what kind of boxer were you? And he told me, he goes, oh, man, I was dirty. I was dirty. So give me an example of something you did that was dirty. Like, what made you a dirty boxer? <laughs> oh, and he's like, you know what I used to do? Before a fight, I would put pepper in my afro. And then I get in real tight on a guy and rub it in his eyes. And then, <laughs> and then we ref would call for a break and his eyes would be watering and it was easy for me at that point. Spider, I have all the time in the world for it. That guy gave me so many breaks when I deserved exactly none of them. I got nothing but great things to say about Spider Jones, the great Spider Jones. I got to tell you, that was actually more devious than I expected. I, I didn't know what I was expecting, but that pepper. was pretty devious. He's yes. like, man, I would fill my afro full of pepper, man. I'm telling you, just pepper, pepper. Anyway, let's finish up with an email from Paige Dean, who is a, uh, a diehard Flames fan living in Edmonds. Okay. Regarding the conversation on a recent pod about brothers fighting in NHL history, of course, the Sutters are in the conversation. Now, with the next generation of Sutters in the league and a recent incident, I wonder about family communication or confrontation. Yusuf Valamaki was injured by Brett Sutter, son of Daryl. Then in his return, scraps with Brett, leading to an altercation with the official that ultimately led to his suspension. <laughs> Is there a phone call between Daryl and Brett to leave my prospect alone? I have a hard time thinking that Daryl would call Brett on that one, but do you have a thought on that one, Freach? I doubt that Daryl would call Brett on that. I, I will say this, that when Daryl was fired as general manager of the Calgary Flames, Brett was the head coach, and they had a feud over it. As a matter of fact, I can't remember. I know I wrote it in one of my old blogs, but one of them was actually trying to fire the other one 
and got fired. Oh, geez. So like, like I think if I remember correctly, <laughs> I think Daryl was trying to fire Brent and oh, no. he got fired. I remember I, I wanted to interview them about that. And like Daryl, in no uncertain terms, told me what was going to be happening about the possibility of that interview, which was a pretty funny conversation, actually. I do think they have battles from time to time, but I can't imagine that Daryl would call Brad about that one. No, um, that incident, and I'll link to the incident on Twitter, in that scenario where Valamaki gets um, the suspension for getting rough with the referee. So in that video, you see Cameron Gauntz, who's a defenseman for the Ontario Reign, talking to Valamaki and then mocking him by like running his fingers over his helmet, mocking that he's running his fingers through his hair. So when I got this email, I said, okay, I got to find out more about this incident after watching the video. So I called Cameron Gauntz and here's the story behind that entire sequence. So yeah, Sutter and Valimaki had something going all game. And in that game as well, Martin Furk, caught Valimaki with a thunderous hit, like really caught him and all the guys, like it was one of those hits, Elliot, apparently, where everybody is concerned on the ice right away, like, ooh, that looks like a bad one. Everybody's, you know, concerned about Valimaki, but he waved everybody off and, you know, sat up and I, I don't know if he took his helmet off or his helmet was off and Valimaki's got the long feathers and he started running his fingers through his hair, sort of indicating that, yeah, I'm fine, no problem. And then this incident started and Cam said, you know, he went over to Valimaki and said, what are you doing? Like, you've got a, a head injury and you're trying to start fights. And Valimaki said, I don't have a head injury. I'm, I'm fine. And that's why Cam kind of said like, well, then what are you doing? Like with the whole act with like running your fingers through your, your hair, like running your fingers through your feathers. And that's why Gaunt at that time started mocking him by in true hockey fashion, strutting past him pretending to run his fingers through his hair. Cam, by the way, did want me to mention, if I'm telling the story, that one of the reasons why he did it is he's envious that Valimaki has the long hair because there's no way that Cam Gaunt <laughs> could even come close to growing it. So that's the uh, the back story on the Valimaki, Sutter, and Cameron Gaunt story with the, uh, with the Ontario rain and the Stockton heat. We'll end the podcast with uh, an AHL story. Thanks to everybody who emailed in and used the thought line as well. Okay, Elliot, just mentioning Martin Furk there a second ago. This year at the NHL Skills Competition, uh, there was an invitation to Zidane Ochara of the Islanders uh, to come back, participate in the hardest shot. He politely declined. I think we all would have loved to have seen Chara do it one more time, but it's not to be. How about next year in the uh, in the All-Star Game in Florida? Bring in another specialist. How about bringing in Martin Furk to crank it up? Because you know that guy's got a hammer of a shot. So bring in one American Hockey League ringer just to give the AHL a little bit of love. I don't have a problem with that. I like to be inclusive. And if you want to bring in a great player to challenge people, I'm really good with that. I will say this. I know it's come up before. And I've heard that the reaction is the NHL All-Star Game should be for NHL players. I don't think it was just one person who thought that. I think that was kind of an overwhelming feeling. So until that changes, I don't see it happening. 
I just want to see Frick shoot the puck again. God, that guy can hammer it. Yes, he can. Taking us out, a musician from Vancouver, uh, Marty Zilstra, has dropped a pair of records that come with their own unique sound. The first single from Zilstra's latest album pens a love letter to the sounds of the late 60s and early 70s. From Boom Chicka, here's Marty Zilstra with Rattle the Glass on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Enjoy it. Everyone is looking at me. Stops me. Everyone is looking at me. I'm just pounding and we're down by three. Look inside yourself, I know what I see. Do you have the guts to do it for me? Gonna sweat. Gonna work. Gonna burn. It's gonna hurt. We're gonna fight. We're gonna swear. Not gonna change. 